imitant Courteline, un sceptique notoire, manifestant ainsi que l'on... Welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet him, greet him, treat him, and treat him. Today's date is September 22nd, 2015, and I am your skeptical host, Ken Milne. The title of today's podcast is Low-Dose Ketamine for Acute Pain Control in the Emergency Department. And our guest skeptic today is Dr. Marcel Aimon. Marcel is an associate professor, Laval University. He's in the emergency department at a level one trauma center here in Quebec City. He's also the research director of the Canadian Emergency Team Initiative. Welcome back to the SGM, Marcel. Thank you, Ken. Glad to be back. Well, we are together once again at QBeam in beautiful Quebec City. We usually we said K-Beam because it's in Quebec City and it's another beam event you'll all attend. Yes, if you get a chance, I would encourage everyone to come to Quebec City. It was a year ago, Marcel, that we got together and the idea for the SGEM Global was born right here in Quebec City. And you did the first recording in French. Yes, and it's the episode 91, which is the, on the CT NGO for blonde cervical trauma. And now the SGEM Global has been launched and we have teams from around the world translating the blog and podcasting in multiple languages. SGMers can read and listen to the high-quality, clinically re relevant reviews in English, French, Spanish, and Portuguese. Yeah, and if you're interested in evidence-based medicine, like I'm interested, and you want to shorten that knowledge translation window down to less than one year, you speak another language and have always secretly wanted to be podcasting, yes, yes then contact me, the SGM, at gmail.com with Global in the subject line to discuss joining the SGEM Global team. And my French uh, podcast is going to be done also with Dr. Elise Berger-Pelletier and Dr. Chantal Guimont also, both very lovely. Wonderful. But let's get this podcast started with a case about ketamine. So it's a 48-year-old man presents uh, to the emergency department with acute lumbar pain. After trying to lift a heavy garbage can, he says his pain is 10 out of 10, despite taking ibuprofen. He doesn't have any red flags when you question him and examine him, and you consider how to safely and effectively address his pain. Well, we've discussed oligoanalgesia on the SGM many times over the last few years. Well, so just remind everyone, the definition of oligoanalgesia is defined as a lack of in or inadequate pain control and emergency department professionals have been really known for not giving adequate pain Yeah, we don't, we don't have a good reputation of being really great at this, do we? And in fact, there are many studies showing that this is a big problem in the emergency department with some groups of patients being at greater risk for oligoanalgesia. And those include older patients, women, the mentally ill, certain ethnic groups, insurance status, and children. Yep. Speaking of children, adequate pain control, I really like Anthony Croco, last Rantony on pediatric pain control. Oh. oh, yes, and I've talked to Anthony, and he has promised me another Ranthony is coming soon. To raise awareness about oligoanalgesia, the Joint Commission uh, made pain the fifth vital sign in 2001. That's like a decade ago. And since then, American physicians have been evaluated and compensated by means of patient satisfaction with ED pain control. And this provided this misguided incentive for giving out opioids. 
There are some disturbing trends also reported by the CDC, the Center of Disease Control. Over the last years, uh, between 91 and 2010, prescription for opiate analgesic increased from about 75 million to 210 million according to the National Institute of Drug Abuse. Now I'm going to have to teach you, when you say millions, you've got to channel Dr. Evil. Oh, I thought it was minions. Minions, no, uh, Dr. Evil, okay. millions. Millions, there we go. But this significant increase in prescribing was also followed by an increase of abuse and overdose. And that CDC you mentioned before estimates that narcotic pain relievers now cause or contribute to nearly three out of four prescription drug overdoses and about 15,000 deaths per year. Uh, in late 2012, if I remember correctly, ASAP published a practice guideline regarding OPID uh, that will be included in the blog and that detail here in the podcast. Yeah, and if you want to watch a YouTube video that combines the ASAP recommendations with a Taylor Swift song, then check out Michael Barton's parody video called We Are Never giving you drugs in the ER. Besides abuse, there are other well-known limitations to using opiates, including allergy, respiratory depression, hypotension is one big one, nausea and vomiting also are very uh, high on, on the list there. Yeah, and there are other options to manage acute pain in the emergency department that are being explored. And ketamine, what we're talking about today, is one of those options being actively studied. Ketamine is an NMDA receptor antagonist that exert sedative, amnestic, and analgesic effects as a dissociative anesthetic. Yeah, and it's been used for rapid sequence intubation and delayed sequence intubations. However, ketamine had this historic bad reputation for raising intracranial pressure. Yeah, and this concern, Marcel, about raising ICP was something that I was taught in residency. However, we know, we know now that this ketamine, this bad reputation, is not deserved. Yep, and you can look it up on SGEM 93. The use of ketamine in the emergency department has been expanding lately. One of the area has been for procedural sedation. This was covered in SGEM also 114. Ketofol, does it take two to make a procedure go right? Yeah, and back to the pain management issue, we did an SGEM hop covering a systematic review by Billy Sim and it was a review on subdissociative dose ketamine as an adjunct for pain control. And there were only four studies included in that systematic review with just over 400 patients. And if you remember correctly, SGEM 111, bottom line was the high quality published evidence to support the use of subdissociative dose ketamine to quickly reduce the acute pain emergency department settings is lacking, but lower quality studies inconsistently demonstrate effectiveness with uniformly low risk of adverse event. So to address this lack of high quality papers on ketamine for pain control in the emergency department, we're gonna cover not one, but two papers today. And we're gonna ask the first question, and that is, is a subdissociated dose of ketamine equivalent to a standard dose of morphine for control of moderate to severe pain in the emergency department? And what what citation do we have for this, Marcel? Yeah, can the, it's going to be the Motov and Al. It's the intravenous subdissociative dose ketamine versus morphine for analgesia in the emergency department, a randomized controlled trial, 2015. That population that's covered in this study is patient age 
18 to 55, so that's quite important here. 55 is the higher mark for age. We presented the emergency department of a single center teaching with acute abdominal flank back or musculoskeletal pain score of five. Five is the magic number, five or more on a standard 11 point numeric rating scale and required opiate analgesia as determined by the treating attending physician. Yeah, and it's important that there were a number of exclusions for this study, and I'm just gonna uh, highlight a few. One was chronic pain, so you couldn't enter this study if you were coming to the emergency department with a chronic pain condition. You had any renal or hepatic insufficiency, or you had a psychiatric illness. But I'll put the complete list up in the show notes. But what was their intervention? Intervention was ketamine at 0.3 milligram per kilogram, IV. And the comparison? Was morphine at one at 0.1 milligram per kilogram, also IV. And then what were their primary and secondary outcomes? So the primary outcome was looking at reduction of a numeric rating scale pain score at 30 minutes. And secondary one was the incidence of rescue analgesia at 30 and 60 minutes. So the author's conclusions were, quote, subdissociated intravenous ketamine administered at 0.3 milligrams per kilogram provides analgesic effectiveness and apparent safety comparable to that of intravenous morphine for short-term treatment of acute pain in the emergency department. Now, Marcel, we have 11 checklists, questions that we go through for randomized clinical control trials but all the questions were answered yes, except for question five. So let's just point out question number five. So question number five is study patients were not recruited consecutively. So there could be some selection yeah, bias there here. there was a bit of selection bias. All right, let's jump forward then to the key results. So 90 patients, 45 in the ketamine group and 45 in the morphine were enrolled in this study. Patient mean age was around 35 years old and about two thirds of the patients were women. There were no difference between the group in terms of demographic characteristics or baseline vital signs, pain score, or chief of complaints. And so for the primary outcome, the change in mean pain score was not significantly different at baseline. So both the groups, the ketamine group and the morphine group, started with about the same amount of pain. In this case, it was about 8.5. And then they looked at the end of the study after they had received their pain medication and again they didn't find a difference it was 4.1 versus 3.9 at 30 minutes and so the 95 percent confidence interval for the mean difference at 30 minutes according to the mixed model regression was minus 0.77 to 1.05 how about the secondary outcomes so for the secondary outcomes, no difference in the incidence of rescue fentanyl analgesia at 30 or 60 minutes. There was also no statistical significant or clinically concerning changes in vital signs. No serious adverse event occurred in either group. However, as we could imagine, patients in the ketamine group reported increased minor adverse effects like dizziness, disorientation at 15 minutes post-drug administration. So to summarize that then, Marcel, when they're looking at their primary outcome, they found equivalence. Yep. And when they looked at their secondary outcome, they really didn't find much difference except for an increase in some reported minor adverse events. But it's time to dig a little deeper and do what I like to do, talk nerdy. And so in this case, not all the emergency department patients with moderate to severe pain respond 
or even tolerate opioids at a standard dose. And while some patients with high opioid tolerance prefer, yes, give me some more, higher than the regular dose, our emergency staff often are not comfortable doing that. Totally. There are a few analgesics we can offer our patients. And this trial adds more to the accumulating evidence that ketamine at a sub-dissociative dose is a safe and effective alternative. So let's go through five points in this nerdy section that I want to talk about. And the first thing is, you know, the obvious one. It's a single center. And this single center was done in New York, and it was not multi-centered. So the results may not reflect your patient population. Totally agree. Uh, consecutive patients also. This was a convenient sample with patient being enrolled at various time of the day when both a study investigator and a pharmacist were available for medication preparation. This has the potential to introduce what we call a selection bias that would move us away from the actual truth. Right, and we want to find the truth. The third issue was superiority trial, equivalence trial, inferiority trial. I mean, these are complicated uh, yep. uh, questions. And the author says it was equivalence trial. And not to get too nerdy, but equivalence trials are designed to confirm the absence of a significant clinical difference between treatments. To conclude that the two treatments are equivalent, then you have to look at the two-sided 95% confidence intervals, and they should lie entirely within the delta, the minus and positive delta of clinical change. And they set the minimal clinical meaningful difference at 1.3 on a numeric rating scale. And so that's what they achieved. They achieved yep. equivalence because that 95% confidence interval for their primary outcome at 30 minutes was within that plus or minus 1.3 on a numeric rating scale. Totally agree there. Adverse event, we cannot just consider potential benefit, but we must also consider potential harm. There were statistically significant more adverse events in the ketamine group. This mainly consisted with dizziness, disorientation, and mood change. Remember that study was powered to find a 1.3 difference in the pain scale, not for the adverse event. And that's a, that's a common um, limitation of randomized clinical control trials because they're powered looking at efficacy not, not looking harm, at yeah. yeah not looking at harm and then of course when we're talking about some of the adverse events this brings us to the fifth and final point and that would be blinding because there's a possibility that the study was unblinded because some of the side effects that we observe in the ketamine group was nystagmus and this is a ketamine specific reaction and so if people are tuned into that they would recognize that and go ah they must be in the ketamine group yeah. look at those eyes that are shaking all right, well, let's comment on the author's conclusion and compare them to our own conclusion, Marcel. So we do agree that a sub dose of ketamine at 0.3 milligram per kilo appears effective for treatment of acute pain in the emergency department and has a similar reduction in a numeric rating scale to morphine. However, we are not as confident in commenting on the safety as the study was not powered for this result and there were more adverse reactions within the ketamine group. But give us a bottom line then. So for patients who have a contraindication to opiates such as allergy or hypotension, subdissociative dose of ketamine would be a reasonable option to consider for treating acute pain in the ED. Yeah, and how I'm going to apply this clinically is I will consider subdissociative dose ketamine as a second-line agent for patients who cannot be treated with an opioid. But what are you going to tell this patient? What are you going to tell this guy with his back pain? 
So we're going to give you some morphine to see if it improves your back pain. And then we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Okay, well, that covers the first of the two papers, but we're going to give the S-Jammers, as promised, a twofer. That's two for the price of one, and that price is free as part of free open access to medical education. So what's the second question we want to answer? Is the addition of low-dose ketamine to morphine, so adding the ketamine to the morphine, is superior to morphine alone in the emergency department uh, when you're treating pain for your patient. So I get it. So the first study we were looking at or. It was or, morphine yeah. or ketamine. And this time we're going to be looking at a combination of morphine combined so, with ketamine. So we're looking at the end. Yes, the and, yes. All right, so what article do you have for this one? So the article is Baudouin and collaborators. Uh, Low-dose ketamine improves pain relief in patient receiving intravenous opiates for acute pain in the emergency department. Results of a randomized, double-blind clinical trial was published in the Academic Emergency Medicine in November 2014. What was the population? English-speaking adults, 18 to 65, so similar to the previous one. So 65 was the cutoff here. Moderate to severe pain, so again, five on a numerical scale for pain. And that had to be within this, uh, the last seven days. They were deemed appropriate for IV opiates analgesia by the treating ED physician. And again, there was a number of exclusions, and I'll list them there on the blog. How about the intervention? Well, group one, the intervention got uh, morphine 0.1 milligram kilo, max was 10 milligram IV, plus ketamine 0.15 milligram per kilo IV. And so group two was the exact same morphine dose of 0.1 milligram per kilogram with that max dose you mentioned of 10 milligrams, but this time they doubled up on the ketamine and they had 0.3 instead of 0.15, they had 0.3 milligrams per kilogram IV. And what did they compare that to? The comparison was plain morphine at 0.1 milligram per kilo IV max 10 milligram plus normal saline. Oh, so that was the placebo that control? That placebo, I should say ketamine placebo, so normal saline. Yeah. All right. And so how about their primary outcome? So primary outcome was a some pain intensity difference, what called SPID. At two hours, it was measured every 30 minutes, but it was at two hours, we were looking at a difference of 33% or more. Yeah, and this SPID, that S-P-I-D, I wasn't familiar with this. And this is different from that numeric score that I think we are much more familiar with. That is, rate your scale on a pain from 0 to 10. And I think we're much more familiar with that score. Yeah, the clinically important change on the regular scale is usually 1.3. And this SPID is another recognized method to quantify clinically the important difference in pain. It has been established previously that a change of 33% or more on the SPID represented clinically important measurement uh, in pain outcomes. All right, and they had some secondary outcomes? <laughs> secondary uh, outcomes were numeric rating scale score at each time point, 0, 10, total pain relief, five-point scale, and also adverse events, obviously. Yeah, and they, they had a number of other secondary outcomes that we'll list on the blog as well. But here are the author's conclusions. Low-dose ketamine is a viable analgesic adjunct to morphine for the treatment of moderate to severe acute pain. Dosing of 0.3 milligrams per kilogram is possibly more effective than the 0.15 milligrams per kilogram, but may be associated with minor adverse events. Further studies should evaluate additional outcomes, optimum dosing, and use in specific populations.
Now, last time, Marcel, we just jumped through those 11 questions because there wasn't a lot of, well, I mean, there were 10 out of 11 were yeses, but not so for this trial. So we're going to go through them more structured. The first question was, the study population, was it focused on those in the ED? We should answer yes. And were they randomized? Yes. And was the randomization concealed? Yes. All right, here's where we get into more stuff. The patients, were they analyzed in the groups which they were randomized? Technically, no. Some of the patients were removed after randomization and withdraw without receiving the drug. So they didn't do a true intention to treat mm -hmm. analysis? Yeah, not technically. Okay. The study patients were recruited consecutively? Nope. And we mentioned in the previous paper that could introduce some selection bias. Question number six. The patients in both groups were similar with respect to their prognostic factors? Unsure, that's the only answer we can uh, give to the listener. Demographics were the same, but we don't know about the non-opiate analgesic use prior to AD presentation. Yeah, so they didn't ask them before yep. they came to the ER whether they used anything outside of an opioid. So we don't know if they had any acetaminophen, ibuprofen, Codeine. or other medicines. Question number seven. All participants were unaware of group allocation. Yes. Eight. All groups were treated equally except for the intervention. Unsure. Why is it rescue analgesia was left to the treating physician, was not protocolized, so there may be their uh, uncertainty. So we're not exactly sure they were treated equal. They were treated equally as in it was left up to the physician's yeah. discretion, but that physician's discretion wasn't protocolized, so they could be treated differently. Okay. All right. So then question number nine, was the follow-up complete? Yes, for the primary outcome at 30 minutes, but it did lose some patient around the two hours benchmark. All right, question 10, all patient important outcomes were considered? Nope, they did not specifically ask the patient if they needed more medication, what we call a patient-centered outcome. Are you, do you want more medication? That's a simple question. And, and don't you think that's a really good question to ask? Not what's your pain on a scale of one to 10, but a, a, a much more practical, are you still in pain and do you want something more for pain? Can I get you something more or something? I think in the concept of research, you'll probably ask both. Yes, I think it would be good to ask both, yeah. And the final question, the treatment effect was large enough and precise enough to be clinically significant? Yes. All right, the key results. So 78 patients were enrolled, 69 were randomized, and 60 completed the study, about 20 per group. We had three uh, groups. And then the primary outcome, the combination treatment with morphine plus ketamine was superior to morphine alone and there were no differences observed between the higher and lower dose ketamine group. And I'll list the SPID, the percent change in the SPID, and the percent of patients achieving a 33% or greater SPID. Secondary outcomes were similar numbers of patients received rescue analgesia. There were more adverse events in the ketamine groups as we specified in the previous paper. Exactly, yeah. If you give ketamine? They have small side effects. All right, so it's time to talk nerdy again. Combining the analgesic in the ED is not new, what we call co-analgesia, and neither is the concept of low-dose ketamine, 0.15 milligram per kilo IV, as an adjunct to morphine IV in the treating of acute pain. And so we had, again, five points we wanted to bring out of this study. And the first one, and I combined a few of these here so I could get five points, but the first one, you know, it's small, it's single-centered, and they had many exclusions. 
In the previous study, they had 45 patients in each group. This one had just 20 in each group. And it was done in Rhode Island. And again, therefore, the results may not reflect your patient population. And in addition, there were so many exclusion criteria, it would be hard to find patients that would fit the strict, like the strict study protocol. Second point actually is side effects. There were more adverse event in the ketamine plus morphine group than in the morphine group alone. These small studies are not powered for safely. However, ketamine has a fairly long history of being a safe drug. So we're not talking about adverse event here, but safe drug more relating to death or mortality. Exactly, okay. Yeah, and the third point I wanted to bring up was just multiple drugs. Going from a single agent or monotherapy to a combination therapy does increase the risk of a drug error. And we need to be very careful when we're making systems more and more complex, especially in the emergency department where things are happening fast. And in addition, ketamine comes in different concentrations. So you gotta make sure you're grabbing the right concentration and getting the right dose to, the, to that patient. And I'm just concerned that by making it more complex, we could compound the chance of error. Point number four actually is, what are we trying to treat? That's a good question, Ken. The right dose of morphine for the patient in pain is when they no longer request pain medication. And that relates to the pain, the patient-centered outcome. Uh, we get fixated sometimes on the number of milligram per kilo rather than the looking at the patient. What a novel concept, Marcel. Yeah. Why don't you just go look at the patient and ask them, the, wow, you know, not just look at the milligrams per kilogram. And the fifth thing is, now what? Now what? So you have successfully treated this person's acute pain in the emergency department. What are we going to do at discharge when we send them home? What are we going to do for pain control? And how long that the treatment that we provided in the emergency department, how long is that going to last? And will the combination treatment result in less pain medication needed in the near term? And all of these questions and more remain unanswered after this study. But it's time to comment on the author's conclusions and compare them to our own conclusions. And we generally agree with the author's conclusions in this case. Yep. Bottom line is that while further validation in the other setting is needed, this study suggests that ketamine as a relatively safe option for patients who do not achieve analgesia with high doses of morphine or are unable to tolerate them. And so how I'm going to apply this clinically is that I'm going to use morphine still as my first-line agent unless there's some contraindication to using an opioid. And what do I tell my patient? Is that if your back pain does not improve with morphine, we can always try an additional medication called ketamine. So basically, it's another tool on your toolbox as an oh, emergency physician. A tool in the toolbox. All right. So the case resolution for this 48-year-old man with acute lumbar pain after trying to lift a heavy garbage can is given 0.1 milligrams per kilogram of morphine IV. You reassess him at 30 minutes, and his pain is now down to 3 out of 10, and he actually wants to go home. So you write him a prescription for a short course of non-steroidal anti-inflammatories and an opioid, and he's instructed to follow up with his primary care physician in the next week, and of course return to the emergency department if he has increased pain, he has decreased function, develops some red flags, or he's worried. There's been some other great FOMED resources talking about ketamine, and I'll list them on the blog. Well, it's time for the Keener Contest, and last week's winner was... Dr. Steve Joseph from South Huron Hospital in Exeter, Ontario. 
the little hospital that does. They knew that it was Dr. Joseph Gorando, and I'm sorry if I said that name wrong, who was the chief of trauma surgery at George Washington University Medical Center, who actually put the chest tube in to President Ronald Reagan after he was shot. Marcel, what's the Keener contest this week? So the Keener question this week is about ketamine, obviously. Of course, we're going to talk ketamine for the Keener contest. So we've been talking about sub-dissociative dose of ketamine of 0.15 milligram per kilo or 0.3 milligram per kilo. But what is the rapid sequence dose of ketamine? Yes, it is a different dose. So we've been yeah. talking about the sub-dissociative dose, and we want to bring home the message that if you're doing an RSI, a rapid sequence, or a delayed sequence intubation, that dose of ketamine is different. And so if you know what that dose is, then send me an email to the sgem at gmail.com with Keener or ketamine in the subject line, and the first person to correctly answer the question will receive a cool skeptical prize. Well, Marcel, we're here at QBeam, but you know what? I'm going to be heading out to the St. Paul's Emergency Medicine Update later this month, September 24th to 27th in Whistler, BC. And then, of course, there's ASEP coming up in October in Boston. And then finally, I'm going to be at the teaching course with Rob Rogers in New York City, November 10th to the 13th. So I want to thank you again, Marcel, and if you want to listen to this episode in French, you're going to record it soon and put it up on SGM Global. Nice, sûr. Yeah, bien sûr. <laughs> All right, so in English, though, in English, can you give the SGM tagline? Remember to be skeptical of anything you learn, even if you heard it on the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Talk to everyone next week. Pouvant y croire